Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source of news, interviews and comments on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by TST Magazine. I'm your host, Sam Davis, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Impossible Objects Chairman Bob Swartz and CEO Steve Hoover. The pair join us on the Additive Insight podcast to discuss the launch of the CBAM25 Composite 3D Printer in line with this week's Rapid Plus TCT event. Impossible Objects CBAM25 machine is said to be capable of printing 15 times faster than its closest competitor and has been designed to facilitate volume additive production. Throughout the episode, Swartz and Hoover explain the key capabilities of the CBAM25, how they're able to achieve such high speeds without compromising part quality, and the application opportunities the machine opens up. They also discuss their vision for impossible objects and provide an assessment on the landscape of the AM industry. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more additive insight, head on over to tstmagazine.com where you can subscribe to the print edition of TST Magazine and our weekly additive insight newsletter for free. Steve, Bob, welcome to the Additive Insight podcast. Uh, how are you guys doing? Are you all are you all set for Rapid Plus TCT in Chicago? We're in uh, we're in pretty good shape, Samuel. It's uh, nice to nice to meet you and appreciate the opportunity today. We're looking forward to uh, a pretty big show for us. Yeah, yeah. So um, obviously, in the in the recent days, we've had the announcement of the the CBM or CBAM twenty five machine. I was wondering whether you could tell us the the motivation behind the development of that new machine. The whole point of the development machine is to take additive manufacturing and 3D printing from a prototype to a true production um, capabilities using the graphic arts technology so that we can speed things up orders of magnitude. And you obviously had the the CBM CBAM two machine that um, that came before it. What would you consider the the key capabilities of this platform, and how have you taken things on from that initial product? Well, primarily it's it's the speed of the machine, um, and the fact that it's uh, instead of being sheet fed, it's web fed. Uh, but it's a completely different paradigm of three D printing compared to the methods that have been used previously, which allows us uh, much greater speed, uh, in addition to the fact that uh, we can produce parts which are stronger with better dimensional tolerances and generally better material properties, among other things, because we're working with materials like carbon fiber composites and high performance polymers like PEAK, so that we can produce parts which have much better properties than any other 3D printing technique. To build on on Bob's comments, right? This, this is with the CBM2 machine, we proved this new technology, radically new technology works. And it brings a lot of benefits in terms of the material properties and the part performance. This new product is about breaking into the heartland of manufacturing. It's about productivity. What manufacturers need is more parts per hour. And this machine is 15 times faster than anybody else out in the market. And what that means, you know, to make it real, somebody on the team came up with this 
uh, analogy, which I love. 15 times faster is a difference between the world fastest person running the mile and how fast a Formula One car is in a straightaway. That's 15 times faster. Like that's how much faster. And so if you if you want to produce parts and volume, that's what you need. And and I think the, the, the point, the, the major point is that this is just the beginning, is that this technology can be sped up multiple orders from where it is today. So that, um, you know, we're just getting started. So talk to me about the, I guess, the engineering behind um, that speed. How have you been able to um, enable such an, an increase in the speed? Because, you know, 15 times faster than anything else in the market is is quite the the claim. So how, what, what have you done behind the scenes to, to make that happen? The, um, the first is the, the fundamental process that, you know, Bob founded the company and invented this new process that the printing part. So every, everybody, you, you got to write every 3D printing process, you've got to print it um, the layer by layer and then consolidate that layer into the part. The secret to speed here is that we've separated the printing from the consolidation, which means we can print at room temperature. So unlike all other processes that have some sort of thermal cycle, you got to heat up, you got to cool down, or a chemical curing process, which these are all physically rate limited processes. We do not have that type of thermal curing at the printing stage. And as Bob said, then the printing processes look much more like what you would do in traditional um, high-speed graphic printing. So I spent a lot of my career developing high-speed digital printers at Xerox. The print speeds we print, our, our machine today, the one we're, uh, we're announcing, prints at 25 feet per minute on, a, <clears throat> um, on an 18-inch wide build block, which is radically fast for a 3D printer. That's slow for a graphic printer. So we reuse many of the technologies from that graphic printing industry to make that process uh, to make that process work. But the key enabler is again, we print at room temp, so we can be radically faster. We can use the decades of development that went into um, graphic arts printing in our process. Uh, so you know, if you look at a printing press that prints, for example, newspapers, they're running you know, close to a thousand feet per minute. And so the technology has been around for decades and has been perfected um, and and we can take advantage of, of all of that. And how do you ensure as you, you know, as you work on the, the increase in speed, how have you ensured that, you know, part quality and process consistency isn't hampered? Because I think the, the worry is as you, you know, you can increase speed, but that can, affect i guess the the precision of the prints and, and the accuracy of the prints what kind of measures have you taken to, to guard against that so we we're reusing a lot of as, as bob said right this is a reuse of significant technology from from mainly from the digital versions of graphic arts printers again things i developed that went 300 pages a minute and those believe it or not the tolerances you have to achieve there are 25 micron for layer to layer imaging because the human eye is so is so sensitive. And so a lot of those technologies are um, uh, uh, feedback control technologies. 
we are constantly monitoring many, many things in this machine. The location of the web, the location of the inkjet drops as they hit the sheet and dynamically in real time, adjusting um, the system to consistently place the image in the same location and to consistently have the same density of particles. So there's a variety of sensing systems from computer vision camera systems to um, high precision um, uh, ultrasonic sensors that we use to maintain that precision and quality. And um, one thing I wanted to, to touch on, um, the, the proprietary process that, that you use in, in CBAM machines, um, take advantage of, of long fiber fabrics as opposed to you know, chopped or, or short of fibers. Can you, can you explain the kind of impact that has on, on the parts you're able to print? Well, it enormously increases the tensile strength mm -hmm. um, compared to homogeneous polymers because, I mean, one gets into the theory of composites, but we're getting, you know, three or four times the tensile strength from a composite material as compared to, uh, as compared to the homogeneous materials because of the whole, it's, it's, it's the structural nature of composites. If you think about it for a few minutes, what you realize is that composites are just better material-wise than homogeneous materials. And, you know, there's been enormous amount of research in making composites uh, higher performance and and we can take advantage of again it's one of the one of the themes that goes through this is that we take advantage whether it's inkjet printing or graphic arts methods we take advantage of a lot of very well established technologies in putting them this together and that's another example of that and you know building on that because we use long, longer fibers, then right there are avail uh, technologies 3D printing with um, <clears throat> the short chop fibers. Um, again, our longer fibers are stronger for a very simple reason. Like Bob said, if you go back to the theory of composites, the, the strength is provided by the carbon fiber. It's hard to stretch, but the carbon fiber is encased in the plastic. So it's kind of like hands gripping on the rope. And longer fiber means there's more hands. So it slips less. And so simply longer fibers are stronger because the, this force transfer into the fibers from the polymer is better. And therefore more of the loads carried by the fiber and therefore you're stronger. Presumably though, because I think most, most 3D printing technologies that that use carbon fiber or glass fiber or you know those reinforcing structures they 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 utilize chopped or you know the, the shorter fibers so what are the i guess what are the challenges with using longer fibers that you've had to to kind of address before before yeah. allowing this to come into the technology yeah great great question this is the beautiful thing about this process the whole reason why people are limited to the short fibers is because they have a small nozzle they've got to squirt something through so you can't clog the nozzle with the fiber. So it's gotta be shorter than the nozzle or they gotta fit inside a polymer particle. And the polymer particles are 50 to 70 microns you know, large. Well, we separate our process has a substrate that is the carbon fiber and we put the powder on top. And so again, that separation is what allows us to do long fibers that those other technologies, they just can't do, you can't put a, you can't put an inch, a half inch long fiber inside a 50 micron particle. You can't. Yeah, I mean, 
silicon fiber through a through a 75 micron diameter nozzle. I mean, everybody's trying to do selective deposition through things like nozzles and, and inkjet heads. And the problem with that is that the kinds of things that you can get through are limited or the parallelism. I mean, the, the big thing about this process is that we're using not only inkjet head technology, so we're parallel, but we're using a page wide head. So we're putting all of the we're, we're, we're printing, you know, the layer almost instantaneously. And the other processes, HP does have that kind of parallelization, but it has multiple steps. We just have to cross the, the layer once. And they have to cross the layer like three times. On um, in terms of when, as you kind of um, released the the CBA um, twenty five machine um, to market with 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 the the prior machine, the CBA M two, um, you offer gla glass and carbon fibers and peak and nylon twelve thermoplastics, and you know there are obviously four combinations of of those um, sets of materials. What are the what are the materials combinations that will be initially available to users of of the new machine, and then what's on the the roadmap moving forward? Well, we will we will um, deliver all four material sets on the new machine as well. Mm -hmm. Right, um, and I'll let Bob comment on uh, some initiatives he's leading to really broaden the set of our materials. Yeah. So so the the one of the one of the real advantages of this process is that we can use any um, thermoplastic polymer and we've developed a number of methods for producing polymer powders uh, so that we can turn pretty much any thermoplastic into a powder um, and so we we can use pretty much any thermoplastic that you want whether it's PBT or nylon six or polyethylene or elastomeric materials. Um, we also um, can do thermosets. So we have a much wider selection of materials and you're no longer limited. I mean, if you look at you, you look at, you know, things like the centering processes, they have a handful of materials because they have because the processing window they have is so small, but because we're actually melting the material and also recycling it in the machine so all the machine all the material that that comes off the sheet gets reused um, we're much more efficient in terms of our uh, material use than the the centering processes uh, and, and 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 those are all advantages but you know one of the big advantages is if you come and you say you know there's a particular material you want to use we we can we we've experimented and run you know altem and polyethylene and pbt and and a whole series of other materials um and it and and we can do evaluations of materials with very small amounts you know we don't need we we don't need 20 or 30 kilograms to to test out a new material in terms of um the roadmap and, and how you kind of prioritize um, your, you know, your resources in terms of developing them and then, and then releasing them as, as available products. How much of that is down to what's the the most doable 
um in certain time frames and how much of it is is down to what your your user base is is demanding how do you how do you manage manage that and and, and work through that uh, I, I, <laughs> go ahead. I, I, yeah first of all the answer sam is we do it very well but um um it, you know it's a it, 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 you know that's the that's always the challenge right is you've got to hit the next milestone to show progress and to, can you grow your customer base and you look at the combination of, of you know, how hard is it um, uh, or how risky is it really is the thing. You got to differentiate between hard and risk, right? Because risk creates the opportunity for, you know, forever slipping schedules, right? Um, and never getting there. And, um, you know, so you balance the, the risk um, and, you know, and the value. The good news is, is that we're at a place where a lot of those fundamental risks have been eliminated. And again, that's the, you know, the, 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 the science that Impossible Objects has done to develop this brand new process and develop the fundamental automation that enables it. Um, um, and then we've really focused again on this, on this machine in literal reuse from the graphic arts industry. We reuse a full width inkjet head array that is built the same way people do it in high-speed digital inkjet printers that print, that print 300 pages a minute. It's the same technology. We use the same web steering technology. So we've been able to balance those two things, I think, pretty well over the past couple of years because of the foundation of the science that was done at Impossible Objects and really bringing in, you know, as I've joined as a team, We've really added a whole set of engineering and advanced development talent who knows how to make high-speed printers. And the power of those two together has meant, I think we've done a pretty good job of picking a sweet spot where we can deliver this, but where there is significant customer value. Um, back again to that speed and the material properties we can, we can deliver. So you're right, that's the fundamental ongoing you know, challenge of, uh, the product market fit, you know, and customer discovery that all startups go through. Um, I'm pleased we're in a pretty good place to balance those. Mm -hmm. And as you as you bring the the CBAM 25 to market, and you you know you develop those those material combinations, what do you see as the the kind of the big application opportunities that you you begin to open up for for customers? Well, I think the movement from prototyping to production and, you know, long term with some of the material stuff that we're working on enormously, enormously lower costs uh, because the underlying materials are are inexpensive uh, and therefore we can produce things that at lower costs than than others and start making parts for you know, there, there are a lot of things. We've, we've had a lot of success in the solder pellet market, which is used for, you know, going through wave soldering machines for making for making PC boards, uh, where they need a lot of the features we have, the ESD features, the chemical resistance, and the temperature performance. Uh, but one of the things we've noticed is that for for various reasons in these, solder pellets, there are a lot of effectively machine parts. And we can start attacking the, the CNC machine industry uh, 
with parts that are much cheaper. You know, there's also an enormous number of places where you're doing low volume, um, you know, low volume things like buses and 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 lots of products that sell in in the thousands or the or the or the few thousands where injection molding um, is not viable. And so we 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 also see those as significant markets uh, as examples. Yeah, we've we've had uh, Samuel. You know, your viewers won't be able to see it, but you can see this. This is an example of that electronic spooling, where we print uh, a tool that's very important to printed circuit board manufacturing. And 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 maybe you can also see how flat this part is. Mm -hmm. um, again, inherent to our technology, because we don't heat and cool each layer separately. We heat all the layers simultaneously after they're printed. We get much better dimensional tolerancing over large flat parts, no warpage uh, uh, or very little. Um, and so that's one really interesting market that's grown rapidly for us over the past year. We're selling parts into that market. Um, uh, um, another specific example, I'm sure with Bob's point, there's a lot of general industrial, but another really interesting example. Think about our carbon fiber peak material. We have the um, uh, weight, the strength to weight ratio of aluminum. Um, drones. So we have some significant contracts uh, for exploratory research from the Air Force um, for lightweighting uh, 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 drones. So any any kind of application. So again, we we print composites, but we don't. Our major market isn't things that are made out of composites today because those are um, uh, actually, we're not quite as strong, we're stronger than the bare polymer, but we're not quite as strong as traditional composites. But there's so many parts that are made out of uh, lightweight metals, aluminum that you can make out of this, or so many industrial parts where again, a light, the lightweight uh, value is really high. So we think there's a whole suite of applications, but in particular today, we have strong demonstrated customer interest in this tooling, electronics tooling application, and in um, in uh, lightweighting of uh, of drones. One one question I I wanted to to ask was obviously um, the the machine has been slated for for shipment starting um, in 2024, um, but you know machine launching uh, you know late April early May publicly. So what um, what happens between between now and then to kind of get from where you are now to to the point at which you're ready to ship machines yeah so you 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 asked a question earlier about you know what are we doing to um really make sure that the quality consistency is maintained and i talked about all the technology reuse and things that enable that well the other thing we're doing and again i this has been my background i've launched a lot of printers into the world um we're making parts on that machine today so we have, a, we have a version running in our lab. We are making parts and starting this month to ship and sell those to customers. The feedback that you get from somebody actually buying the parts off of your printer, are they good enough, aren't they? What needs to be better? The learning we get by putting, we make lots and lots of parts on this machine before we ever ship it. We learn what are the parts that do fail more frequently? inside the machine? What are the monitor, are the process monitoring steps all measuring the right thing? That data that we get from printing literally, you know, hundreds of thousands of layers 
you know, millions of layers and measuring the parts, selling them. We'll, we'll, be, we'll redesign many pieces that, of that machine in the next year as we get that feedback from ourselves so that when we install something in a customer site, they're not, we're not doing our learning at their expense. And so that's what we're going to be doing is using it, selling parts, learning, iterating the details of the design, because a lot of times that's where, again, fundamentally all of this will work. It's, oh, wait, the way we mounted that inkjet head is sensitive to the vibration, you know, when the machine starts and stops. So, okay, we got to change that mounting. We'll do all of those things. 200 exhibitors, four stages, 100 speakers, and 1,000 years of combined experience. CCT360 is firmly established as the UK's definitive 3D printing and additive manufacturing event, and registration is now open. Between the 7th and 8th of June this year, CCT360 will bring together market-leading technology suppliers and services, as well as the largest free additive manufacturing conference on the planet. TCT360 is a free, must-attend event for anyone looking to evaluate, adopt, or optimize 3D printing technology within their business. Join us on the 7th and 8th of June at the NEC in Birmingham. To register, go to www.tct360.com. Steve, um, to, to move on to, to your appointment um, as CEO, because you're, you're relatively new to the role. I think it was announced earlier this year, but I think you've been you've been in position for a little longer than that. So can I ask what what was it that attracted you to the the opportunity to work at Impossible Objects, but also within the, the additive manufacturing industry? Well, in, in my prior role at, um, at Xerox as CTO of the company, um, overseeing all of the product development and and uh, early stage research, um, one of the things I was working on was uh, trying to help Xerox break into the 3D printing industry and leverage its its strengths. And so we did, and we did do some things um, um, successfully there. Um, so I had the chance over a decade to learn a lot about 3D printing and really learned, you know, we're trying to innovate and break in. So what are the weaknesses of the current, right? You, you know, you're, you're coming in from outside, you've got to bring something better, faster, you know, cheaper, right? Um, and I really learned a lot about what are the weaknesses and it really, you know, I saw this limitation in two things, the material properties that you can print are getting better and better and better, but they're still not all the things that customers want, but an even bigger was the speed. It's just too slow. And, and again, I, I led product development teams. We use 3d printing. We didn't use it in production because even for our low volume, you know, we sold machines, these expensive machines, these high speed digital printers, they might sell for a quarter of a million to a million dollars. And, you know, we might sell 150 a year. Like Bob said, low volume. We weren't using 3d printing even for those volumes because it it was just too slow. We couldn't get the material properties. Mm -hmm. So I see this tremendous opportunity for 3d printing to take the next step. And, and honestly, as I looked around in the technologies out there in the world to do it, I didn't see anything else that could address that problem like what Bob and the team had invented in Possible Objects. So it's really exciting for me to be a part of the journey um, and help to get this technology out into the hands of customers. Mm -hmm. 
And and Bob, from your perspective, as you know, as founder of the company and chairman, what what was it about Steve that that made him a, a good fit for for the company and what you're trying to do? Well, I mean, someone who understood development and 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 bringing new products to market, but also had in the 3D printing industry, most people aren't familiar with the graphic arts industry. And this product is very heavily graphic arts related. And it turns out, I mean, I grew up in part in the graphic arts industry and, and problems with registration and other aspects of it are really hard. Um, and most people don't have the experience to understand how to deal with those kinds of things. The people at Xerox and Steve did, you know, had been through that war multiple times. And I can tell you that uh, it's not for the weak at heart. Uh, this stuff is really hard. Uh, you know, you, as, as Steve was pointing out, you, you know, you're, you're trying to register at 25 microns. And I remember going out to Xerox and looking at the iGen, for example. But the machine was just absolutely spectacular. And, and if you understand anything about graphic arts, you know how unbelievably hard it is to work and to do that. But layered on top of that is xerography has got to be one of the most miserable, uh, uh, difficult um, methods that has ever been invented. And it's flaky and, and, and really hard. And to master that takes extraordinarily skilled people. And uh, you know that's important. But you know also the 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 you know the work at Park and being involved in in cutting edge cutting edge research uh, and managing um, you know managing managing teams of that and building teams of that sort is also extremely important. Mm -hmm. um, a question for for both of you. Um, I guess you you may, from your experiences, come at it from different perspectives. But what is your feel for where additive manufacturing technology and additive manufacturing as an as an industry is at right now? Well, I think I, you know my perspective is that it's that it's only just getting started, and that um, the 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 big problem is that people don't understand how to use it, and in particular, I've, I've got this. Um, quote from Marshall McLuhan um, in my office, which is that people look in the rearview mirror and walk backwards into the future. And what most industries of this sort do is try to recapitulate. In other words, you, you want to make the part the way you injection molded it, but that's not right. You want to apply it in, you, you, you want to make the parts similar to the way that you made them before. And you have to have a new way of thinking about doing things. I mean, as an example, um, early on when I was working with 3D printing, I built a clock, which is sitting in the corner here, that comes out of an FDM machine and runs and has no assembly. And it's those kinds of things that I think we're going to see, plus the whole na nature of getting into, you know, more and more true production rather than prototyping. Um, and you have to do that with a parallel process. 
the serial processes like FDM um, or SLS um, don't have the speed uh, to compete there. Yeah, I, I think we're at a really interesting junction point because, um, you know, as Bob said, um, we're bringing, the industry's brought new capabilities to market and it's found some success, right, in certain ways. But the penetration into the broader market isn't there and, and it, you know, into the broader manufacturing market. And I think one of them is, you know, as Bob said, the ability to design for this for the 3D processes. How do you actually represent right? To build assemblies in one unit with no assembly, right? That's the, you know, build the clock that works. Um, the, um, I think the other piece is, is, again, one of the core things we're addressing, which is fundamentally, even, even if you solve that problem, can you meet the production needs of an assembly line where one Ford 150, F-150 comes off every minute? If you don't do that, it you you know you're not gonna you're not gonna get the the penetration. Um, I think on the design side, it's a really interesting point. This whole idea of um, digitalization and and digital inherently democratizing things. Um, the to take advantage of the design capabilities that, of of what you can make with three D printing, you need different design tools, um, and those tools are starting to come out. Um, in the market, things like generative design, where, right, you know, you can design things that you couldn't make with any other process than a 3D printing process, and they are dem demonstrably better. So I think it's a really interesting point in the industry where the software tools are coming there. The interest is there. Traditional manufacturers want it. And, you know, I'm, I'm bold enough to claim we're bringing the third missing piece, which is productivity to the market and that those three things of the design tools and capabilities, the demand and the industry value proposition being understood in industry, us bring productivity is really going to new, a new way. Um, that's my vision for the company and I think we're going to do it. And as a general question, whether it's on, on AM as an entire suite of technologies or, or, or specifically the, the composite technology that that you guys are working with what do you see as the primary challenges that this industry needs to overcome to you know to make the kind of impact that we're we're talking about you know we've mentioned in this in this discussion going from prototyping to to production um but what are the challenges that need to be overcome overcome to get there well i think first materials in other words you don't want stuff that falls apart and you want i mean you want to have uh, the ability to select the material that's appropriate for you rather than being stuck with a few materials. But you also have to have parts that work. And that's really important. And the, the problem is that the material properties of most of these materials are not as good as, as conventional materials. The second is speed. Uh, you have to be able to do it fast enough. The third is cost. You have to do it at a competitive cost. And the fourth is an understanding of the te underlying technology and understanding what it can do and designing for its advantages um, and taking into consideration its disadvantages. When you make an injection mold, you know you can't do undercuts, right? 
you know that you have to go to assembly, you know that you you have um, all sorts of problems, you know that it takes, you know, a, a month or two to build a tool and then when the tool first goes into the machine, it doesn't work. Um, you know, added manufacturing has its issues too. I mean, there, there, there are geometries, you, you can't produce every single possible geometry, but, but one has to understand what the, what the, what the limitations and the advantages are and design for it. And most people, as I said before, look in the rearview mirror and say, I've been making this part that was based on all these restrictions, now build it exactly the same. Well, what comes out isn't what you want. Whereas if you started with a blank sheet of paper and said, how do I design it to optimize it for the process, you get um, a completely different result. And um, as my my final question, and, and thank you both for, for taking the time um, today to talk to me. What what would you say? Um, I think it's something we we've touched on already. But what is the collective vision for for impossible objects moving forward? Well, you know, I think you know we we want to change the nature of three D printing and move it into production and expand expand the materials that are available and lower the cost which is what I said before. <laughs> I, I think Bob captured it uh, very well. That's our that's our vision. We think there's a you bet asked earlier, right? You got to there's a real need out for for those things. And we see within our grasp the vision of making those possible. So that's what we're going to do. Tickets are now on sale for the 2023 TCT Awards. On June the 7th, the 3D printing and additive manufacturing community will come together to celebrate the latest technology innovations and application developments at the 5th annual TCT Awards ceremony. The world's preeminent 3D printing and additive manufacturing awards program, TCT Awards is held alongside TCT 360 in Birmingham in the UK. To book your tickets, visit www.tctawards.com